effectively, navigation is one of the hardest problems in native development in general, because there's this really complicated view system and people expect that view system to work. If you were to take everything and render a bunch of views that just weren't native, but then you got the navigation just a little bit wrong, people would be like, this doesn't feel like native app. The navigation has to be very refined is what we found. Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we have Evan Bacon with us, who is the manager of dev tooling at Expo. He's a Lego master <laughs> and the from scratch author of what we now know as the Expo CLI, which is pretty damn cool. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for that lovely introduction. Yeah, we wanted to make sure to give you a good one because, I mean, hey, from scratch author of the Expo CLI, that's pretty... That's a good-ass talking point, if you ask me. That's pretty great. So, well, anyway, we're going to talk about Expo. We're going to talk about a great project that Evan's been involved in, which is the new router that you might find in the Expo app. Uh, some about EAS for hosting your application. And all the great things that come around with mobile development and how Expo can empower you. So, when did you start at Expo, Evan? Like, how long ago? Years or months? Oh, man. It's almost been five years. I think I joined when I was 19. Wow. Okay. So this has been your like main home base. You're like an expo guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a job prior to that where I worked at a, a design agency and we used expo there and I worked there for like two years or something. So most of my professional career has been using expo. All right. So you're the guy, you're really the guy to talk to because you grew up in expo when we are brains are form and you're 19, you breathe, speak expo. So Really quick, what is Expo for anybody that isn't familiar with it? Yeah, so Expo itself is an NPM package, which you can install in a React Native project. And it enables just a, a ton of functionality uh, that we think is really critical for building uh, a, a great mobile app that scales for lots of users and then also scales to uh, whatever your team size is. Um, so, for instance, it, it adds features like the Expo Go app, so you can... Uh, build and share your app instantly with anyone around the world without having to do any extra code signing or any any kind of like builds. Um, it adds functionality like a, a Swift and Kotlin API. So you know, when you talk about React Native, they're like, if there's features you don't have, you can drop down to Native. But in, in React Native, uh, without Expo, you, you kind of drop down to C++, which isn't quite what like modern Native development is. Um, and then it also has features which... Um, just kind of help deliver on the the promise of React Native, where you can write an app in React and then have Native. So like this thing called Prebuild, uh, which kind of sits between React and Native, and it it it's like a bundler for Native apps. So it'll generate the iOS and the Android projects uh, that are required to run the the React code, um, and it's, all those functions are, are just kind of bundled up in this package. Install it in any project, and then it it makes it pretty great. It's kind of like an integrated development environment and almost like some sort of testing ecosystem that lives and breathes with your project as you're developing it. Yeah, I mean, I could have also summarized it as a framework. Um, <laughs> um, it doesn't, yeah, it's not, we do have kind of a, an IDE in the browser called Snack, which is actually the fastest way to make a native app of any kind. You just open this website, you connect your app, and now it's you're doing native development. But outside of that, it's mostly uh, 
it is mostly native tooling that builds on top of React Native. So when you say native, what what are we talking about here? What does native mean? It's a heavy word in this context, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. We're talking about iOS and Android. Okay. So those are the two platforms that React Native supports out of the box. That covers the majority of people around the world. And then Expo also adds support for web, just because we think it's a really important platform. And everyone who uses iOS and everyone who uses Android, they also use web. And that kind of covers the majority of like where your users are. And if you want to make an app, which you know, can be successful, you kind of have to go to where the people are. So we, we support those three platforms out of the box. So when you're writing native code, is the what's the value add that a programmer, developer team can sort of expect to have if they begin to start their creation with a native code base? Um, like the, if you want to create an experience which is just like really good and you want to share it with a lot of people, the, the best way to do that is with a website. Um, but if you want, you know, any, any functionality, really, like the web is just missing a, a ton of functionality, um, mostly because the, the platform vendors don't add it to the browser. And also the browser, you know, it's got this backwards compatible spec and it, it moves at a certain speed. So when a feature like Dynamic Islands comes out like a couple days ago, um, it, that will probably not be available to the web for many years, if, if ever. Um, so if you want to you know, utilize exciting new technology like that, um, you need to build a native app. And what we find is that you know, that switch is not as easy as like web plus plus. It's more like you go from this incredible developer experience of web where you can just build and share your app instantly, and then you drop down into this experience where you're, uh, it's very slow rebuild times, and it's very, very difficult. So what we try to do with Expo is find some middle ground there where you can get that developer experience, but then you can still access new and emerging features as they come out, like app clips and Safari extensions and dynamic islands, stuff like that. So I, I guess I have my brain oriented around the idea that Expo is super geared just towards iOS and Android, but it sounds like more wholeheartedly, it's sort of like this development platform that allows you to access these lower level features that you might find uh, that React Native supports that you wouldn't find in just a purely web context. Yeah, so React Native, it's, it's kind of like a, an engine. And an engine's really good for powering a car, but it's like it's not super great for getting getting you places. Um, and what I mean by that is like if you want to like React Native, it provides the ability to run JavaScript and run React code on a native app. Um, so if you want to expose native functionality, you can write a native module, and you generally write that with a macro, and then you have like kind of like these. There's just like a lot of things missing there. Uh, there's a you still have the ability with just React Native to have a lot of fatal crashes. Like you have the ability to pass a string to a function that expects an object and then natively it will attempt to parse it incorrectly and then it will like blow the app up, which you, you can't really do on web anywhere. Is that sort of kind of like what people talk about with the interactivity of what we're seeing as WebAssembly modules now? They expect certain inputs and you have to call and invoke them in the correct way. So JavaScript's not necessarily typed, but Rust is yeah, generally, whatever with um, In areas where you will find a native crash, it's it's usually related to types because by default you want 
you, you want a system where you're not doing that type checking by default. So in cases like, for instance, if you're sending information back and forth, like you're trying to do maybe some like machine learning, you're trying to parse like a, a bunch of like you know, array buffers with image data. Um, in those cases, you don't want to have to do a type check every time. You just want to be like sure about it. But in all other cases, for a better developer experience, you want everything to just fail gracefully with like a, a very empathetic error message, which tells you how to like, um, how to work. Uh, and you want that error message to be in a place where you can see it. Usually when a fatal crash, um, there will be no interface for you to see what crash you have to like connect it to something and reopen it. So um, Expo adds a lot of that like infra around the React Native experience. Um, and it makes it, you know, very, uh, very reasonable. <laughs> a more, yeah, a nicer experience. So w would you say Expo could be used really by any developer that's looking to be on the bleeding edge of like web and mobile development through a JavaScript lens? Yeah, if you're trying to be on the leading, like the bleeding edge, and if you're trying to build an app that really like scales to a, a ton of people and just like you know grows, uh, like that, that's really in the DNA of React Native. Um, unlike many other you know, ways to build a native app, you know there's not too many opinions to build a native app. Uh, there's a lot in the web ecosystem, uh, but in the native ecosystem, there's there's a lot fewer. And um, the what we find in React Native is that these are the things that were kind of you know created by these large infrastructure teams that especially like Facebook at the time. Um, and they were like, how do we make this app which can scale up and serve the most users of an app ever? Um, and so then you, you, you kind of come out with React Native because it can do things that just by default uh, are very difficult to obtain otherwise. Like the, the JavaScript all runs off the main thread and then it like gathers up all the UI operations and runs those on the main thread. So effectively, you're just deferring all information off of the UI thread. Whereas if you were to build an app, you know, like just in Swift, everything runs on the main thread, and then you go and you like progressively defer information over time. So instead of being blocked at the end, it's going to almost like a scheduler and a CPU put it at best effort. Right. So these are like very difficult architectural things to create otherwise, and you just get those out of the box with React Native. Um, so in terms of like scale and really supporting tons of users, uh, React Native is, is, is the way you want to go. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. So it might even be a good idea to start your app with Re React Native if you're like, hey, I want this to be an easy experience. This is going to work on the web. This is going to work on Android. This is going to work on iOS. I'm going to have the ability to grow my branch tree in any direction where my users are. You can start with React Native and kind of be confident that there's that communication line between the lower layers, the lower layers, excuse me, to grow which direction you need. Yeah, uh, I think you should always start your app with with, with React Native with the Expo package installed. Uh, it's the best way. Um, for instance, like when you install Expo, you get the Expo CLI inside of it, so you can do like MPX Expo start, um, and that differs from the React Native start in the way that you can use this app called Expo Go, which you can download from the App Store and you can just open it immediately. Otherwise, you have to build the app locally, which if you're on a Windows machine means you can't build for iOS. Um, and then even if you can build, it takes like two to three minutes per platform just for like a, a basic build. And that's on like a pretty fast computer. 
Um, so the ExpoGo app, think of it kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a reusable runtime. So in a way, it's like a development browser. Um, and it has all the code that you need for the majority of apps. And you can open it up instantly, and then you can share that instantly with the people who you are you're working with on your team. Um, so that's the fastest way to get going, right? Any other way is like there's too much complexity up front. There's too much like cognitive overhead to get started. You have to like install Xcode. You have to do this like maybe eight to 12 hour setup of, you know, configuring your environment. With this, you just need Node and you can get going. And then over time, as your app and your project scales, you can do things like you can install packages. And then Expo has this, like I was talking about earlier, this, this bundler called Prebuild which will um, look at those packages and then we'll say like, okay, this is a camera package. And so this camera package says it needs like a, a permission message for the camera and then this other configuration on Android. So it will like collect all those configurations up and then it will generate the iOS and the Android code so that you can build it locally with your custom, you know, situation, like whatever, whatever you need. Um, and that's really great for white labeling, scaling, upgrading, um, it, like one of the biggest difficulties people have when using React Native is upgrading because you just have all this native code that you generate and you're like, good, I don't need to know how that works. And then in a few months when you have to upgrade it, it's like, now I need to know how all of that works. Um, so with this bundler, you can keep those folders like uh, generated and basically get ignored and just continuously generate them whenever you need. Um, and, and then that system just it, it like scales up uh, incredibly well. So you can add thousands of libraries. You can remove libraries. It takes all the orphaned code with it. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the infrastructure there is, is, is pretty, pretty optimal for uh, building an app. So it sounds like for the Expo Go, what it does is it says, all right, if, you, if you're running on Android, I have like 83% of like the code you would probably use for this native platform for your thing to work. So like if you're writing it in this bubble of 83%, we can just run it right away. You don't need anything like we can emulate it. We can send it to your device. It's all good. But if you're outside that bubble, it needs to, if you're on, you'll need Xcode, right? If you're on iOS, because it needs to actually recompile it. Yeah. So actually at that point, you have two options. So one is you can keep going with Expo Go and then you just write your code defensively. So for instance, maybe you'll add a Bluetooth package and then you'll say, okay, um, if this Bluetooth code is available, then enable this feature. And if it's not, then just skip the feature. And a lot of people do that so that they can continuously share their app over ExpoGo uh, with people on their team, just because it's substantially easier. And then the, the other method you can do, and you can do these both simultaneously, is you can build a custom development client. So that's like creating the, the exact runtime that you'll build for production. You can build that locally and then you can install this React Native package called Expo Dev Client, which adds the ability to basically open a URL. And it's basically like adding Chrome Dev Tools to a library. So you, when you open your app, you don't have to have a dev server running. You like select the URL of the dev server, and it will like load that app in there. So you can create and add as much custom dev code as you need. Um, you can build that in the cloud with a service we offer called EAS Build, which you, as, as you would imagine, it just takes your code, it uploads it, it auto-code signs it, and then it returns a binary, which you can install. So for Windows users or people who um, maybe maybe you just want to like have previews of your build on every commit or something, you can use that. Um, and then for everyone else, yeah, we have this um, in the CLI. There's these run commands, which just utilize Xcode and Android Studio. And then they have a bunch of resiliency built into them. So for instance, if you were to build your project in Xcode, it isn't aware of like node modules. It isn't aware of the fact that the majority of your project is in 
libraries. So it will show you like 1400 errors or sorry, 1400 like warnings about things which are just like not relevant. Um, so our run commands will do things like they'll auto code sign and then they will like add that context back so that you're only seeing information which is like relevant to your project. So you go from like 1400 warnings down to zero. Um, so yeah, when it comes time to add custom native code, you can build locally, you can build in the cloud, however you need, and you don't really lose out on anything. It just, you know, that's kind of like the natural progression of a project. It's Emily again, producer for Pod Rocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of Pod Rocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. When the one time I tried Expo, like a f around a year ago, I had to add some custom code and I was compiling it on my laptop on a MacBook. And it was actually very, I don't know, it didn't take me 12 hours to set up. Maybe it, it was pretty good. I, I had a very good experience um, running Xcode, clicking compile, sending it over to the device. And it was like instantly. Yeah, it only took like two minutes, I think. I guess that's kind of I guess that's kind of a lot. Well, setting up Xcode is the part that takes the most time. The the actual build is pretty quick. Um, Xcode, I think in the more recent version, they they ship it now without watchOS or tvOS, so it's a it's a bit faster, but it still takes maybe like at least two to three hours to install and set up. But you only have to do that one time for your whole device, and then every year when they update. Right. That's the obnoxious thing. Oh, you have to do it every year. But hey, you go, you can go use the cloud, right? The cloud solution EAS. So what does EAS stand for? Uh, it's Expo Application Services. And it's pretty dope. Uh, EAS is this, this build service. You can send your iOS and your Android apps there. Automatically code signs them. Uh, it probably has like the most advanced native code signing out of, out of any tool for any any framework or system for really like you can say I I'm using this merchant ID for my payments or I it will like see oh you have like Apple authentication in use and then when you go to build it will like register with Apple servers and it'll be like okay this project needs to have Apple authentication set up they need to register this merchant identifier and then this needs to be linked to this project before the build because if it happens after the build then the build will just fail um, and then you have to like start over. Uh, so that's the credentialed part, and that's that's pretty good at like reducing the amount of errors that you'll get during a build. And then for the actual build, it loads in a container which has very optimal caching built in, so you don't have to really worry about like global node module caching, local node module caching, you know, iOS build, artifact caching, all that, um, which usually you'll end up getting into if you um, have to set up a CI for your native app yourself. Um, but with this, it's just 
it's refined zero config for React Native, so you can push and expect like a, a pretty, um, pretty optimal experience. And then when that's done, there's this EAS submit command, which just takes the binary and it like pushes it to the cloud, or sorry, it pushes it to the App Store or the Google Play Store. Um, so you can do something like EAS build dash dash auto submit, and then that one liner will like build your app and submit it to the App Store, and then you'll get an email from Apple like this binary is ready for review, which is the as far as I know, it's the only way to do like a, a one-click proper native build and submission that is available. Um, and we're looking at making that even easier, like moving a lot of that to the cloud so that maybe you could do that from your phone or you know, say merge a pull request and then have that be submitted. It kind of reminds me of the way Docker builds things where it kind of can distinctively scope out layers and then say like, hey, this is a piece of functionality we're activating or we're not activating. We need this Im in this image or we don't slash. This is cached or it's not cached. Right. It's kind of like that, but it's just super optimized for native applications. Right. The, the, the whole tangle mess of what you need and what you don't need, depending what target you have for native. I, I'm not jealous of the folks that like, maybe like yourself, that really get down in the weeds there. I mean, I feel like sidetrack right here you might if you're an engineer there are you an engineer that works in this space because i feel like you get caught between the um apple and android wars sometimes with things just being difficult when they don't need to be um yeah yeah there's definitely uh there, there's kind of an attitude there where people they're like if it's not hard then it's not good but it's also like no i think the apps speak for themselves mm, okay we well, can move on from that <laughs> um so if, if I was making a, a React Native app, if I'm making a React app today, I'm, the first thing I do is install a middleware, I install a router. I install, I mean, everybody wants a router for your website. I want a router for my phone app. Mm -hmm. You're working on a router. So is this thing that you created, will this work for the web, Android, and iOS because it's on the native platform? Yeah, so, so that's the goal. Um, effectively, like navigation is one of the hardest problems in uh, just in native development in general, because there's this like really complicated view system, and people expect that view system to work. Like if you were to take everything and render a bunch of views that just weren't native, uh, but then you got the the navigation just a, like a little bit wrong, people would be like, "This this isn't a native app. Like this doesn't feel like a native app." Like the navigation has to be very refined. Is what we found. Um, so in order to provide that's stuff like, you know, if you go to a tab and then maybe you open a tweet and then you go to another tab and then you open something, you go back to the other tab, it should still be on that tweet. You know, it shouldn't like, you know, unload that view. Uh, but then if you like open that tab and then you tap the tab again, it should pop to the top of the stack. And then if you tap the tab again, it should scroll to the top of whatever you know page you are at. So there's just like all this like integrated functionality. And then it works differently on Android, where there's like a mechanical back button built into the phone. So now you need to account for that when you're moving around the, the routing. Um, and in the browser, you can do things where uh, you have a URL bar. So you know if, if all, else, all else fails, you can still just like change the URL and navigate around the website. You can add hyperlinks. Um, there's you know there's there's URLs, and then there's also like this built-in you know forward and back button. And then usually when you transition between pages, there's not actually an animation or like a gesture-driven animation. On native, there's, there's animations for everything. All pages need to kind of be loaded into memory in order to animate between the two. Um, and just to get all that right, very complicated. 
So I think that's going to change though in the near, because I know like React for Web recently we're now is now soon supporting like native style transitions and all that because people want it. Everybody's jealous of the mobile world. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a, it's in many ways, it's like a, a bit more of an advanced version. But in doing that, they often, they skip over something really important, which is like the routing. Um, so, you know, like any native app can support an incoming URL from the operating system. So for instance, Chrome supports any URL which has HTTPS colon slash slash or HTTP colon slash slash. If you tell the operating system, open a, you know twitter.com, then it will be like, okay, I'll open that in the browser. Um, but you can have you know FB colon slash slash. And if you tell the operating system to open that, if you go into Safari right now and type that in and hit enter, it will be like, okay, Facebook should be opened. And then whatever is on that URL should go to Facebook. Um, and people utilize this to effectively share content. Like if you want to grow user adoption and share parts of your app, like the best experience is to link exactly to where that content is, right? Like if, I, if I'm like, hey, I found this great TikTok and I send it to you, but then I send it to you and then it just opens the app store to the TikTok page and you have to like download TikTok, open it, wait for it to download, open it, watch the splash screen. Then you're on the homepage and I'm like, yeah, it's really funny. Look up like Gorilla or something. And then you like look that up and you got to scroll until you find it. Like that's the worst possible. Like no one wants that experience. You want this experience where I can send you the exact link and then you click on it, and then it takes you exactly where you want to go. And the web does this. It's super powerful. Um, and there's very few apps where you just want to, like, watch it download and open up. Even, like, basically any single app that you hear about, there is one particular feature or function that you are trying to get to, and you have to do all this to get there. So the reason more people don't really adopt this routing system is it's really hard to set up. Uh, on top of all the native navigation having to be set up, uh, you need the ability to set up and configure routes for each individual screen and feature. Now, the web does this really well, uh, kind of dating all the way back to PHP, by having this kind of file system-based router. So people who have like Next.js or Remix, they know that you you go in, you create a file, home.js, like pages slash home.js. Now you know if you open that website slash home, whatever React component you exported, that's going to be at slash home. This is great because you can reason about it. You can like look at the source code and be like, okay, I see all the pages. I know these all exist. And without even having to run the project, you kind of get a sense for how it works. Um, and you don't have to like test and verify that all those links work. You just know that by them existing, they work. And now you can share those URLs with people. Um, so the idea behind this new router I'm working on is basically that, but for native apps and, uh, and just like universally. Um, so it's, it's very similar to Remix, which has like this nested system because native really plays heavily into nesting where you'll have like, um, you know, a tab view at the bottom and that's like at the parent level. And then there will be a bunch of children which live inside of that. And then maybe one of those children has another tab and then there'll be children inside of that. Like if you go to the Instagram, like your profile and there's like posts and reels and stuff like that's two nested tab views. Um, so it's similar to that system, but by default, any link that you open will link you to anywhere in the application, just out of the box automatically. So if you create an app, you could be like, here is, you know, you don't have to tell people like, check out my new app. You could be like, check out my jokes app. Here's like a funny one. And then they can open that and go right to the, the joke or the video or the product or, or whatever you want. Um, but that also has its own set of issues. Um, so 
So I have a quick question if, if I could interject real quick. So like if I'm in Reddit, my Reddit app, and somebody posts a comment and they're like, check out my joke, would that Reddit app presumably need to have your router? Or is that that whole thing you just explained where it's like you can put the app name colon slash slash? Yeah, so Reddit needs to implement its own like native router in order for you to link in there. And so traditionally, the way people do it today is they just set all that up manually. They have this giant manifest and then there's no URL bar for a native app. So you have to like manually check like by launching URLs to check to see if it works. Um, so you'll actually see like uh, maybe who wants to see this. If, you're, uh, if you really pay close attention, then you might see sometimes big, like very big apps will actually, their routing will just break. You'll like check out this. And like this happens, I think, a lot with maybe the GitHub app um, where you'll be like, check out this GitHub file and you click on it and it'll just take you to the GitHub homepage. Um, and you'll be annoyed, right? Yeah, or to the app store or something. Um, so yeah, when you do it manually, it's very prone to failure. With this automatic system, it's all in the file system. So the entire thing is generated um, without any room for, for human error, uh, which is pretty sweet. Just like the way Nginx does it. It's like a you could set up a file system proxy or road and, or yeah, like you said, Next.js. It's, so it's all kind of like statically there. And it's just like, this is it. Go, go address. Okay. Yeah. So we're excited to, to bring that to native. Um, but then there's also like, it gets even more complicated after that. Like, okay, say I send you a link to a TikTok and uh, you don't have TikTok installed. If you go to open that link, uh, nothing will happen. It will just, it'll fail. Um, it won't take you to the app store. It won't know what to do because that app does not exist. So to combat this, Apple and Google made their own systems of course they're not unified. One's called Universal Links on iOS and it's called Deep Links on Android. And the way that these work is you can effectively, you can have a website and then that website has a manifest which says, okay, certain links in my website map to certain links in my native app. And then you can publish that and then an Apple bot scans that and finds those. And then on your native app, you submit that to the app store, you code sign to register those links in that website. And then if you get all of that correct and nothing fails, then I can send you, a, you know, tiktok.com slash my TikTok. When you open that, if you have the native app, it will take you into the native app. And if you don't, it will keep you on the website. So we need a third-party CICD orchestration ballet to make links work. It's one of the, yeah, it's like the most complicated pattern. But if you get it all right, then you're able to open up and share and just grow user adoption of your app way, way faster than like any other. So giant companies will do this, but it's just too hard for, um, you know, like an indie shop or just like any reasonable size project. Even like, you know, if you were maybe a, a food app or something, maybe you work like BMW, it, it wouldn't be very reasonable to set all this up. Like it, it takes a lot of time. So this new tooling would effectively just do all this automatically because you can deploy the app, you know, to iOS, Android, and web. On iOS, if you use EAS Build, it knows how to code sign and register all these URLs for you automatically. Uh, when this router is done, it will say, okay, all these routes exist. So instead of, usually what people do is their routes won't be exactly one-to-one. -one. It'll be like, you know, TikTok slash video, you know, question mark. And maybe TikTok has it right. But uh, usually people will do something like that. Uh, with this, it's just every single route matches every, every single version of, you know, like you can access anything. So for instance, maybe YouTube would be like, they'll support going to a video, but they won't support going to a profile or going to a playlist or going to a particular video in a playlist. 
um, just because it's too difficult to implement. This would, it would just be out of the box. Um, and then on top of that, you know, if you take a step back, that's, that's like, I think the, the grand, like if, if all that worked, it would just be a really incredible uh, system, uh, which I think it'll, I think it'll work pretty well. Uh, but if you take a step back, it's just like, it's also pretty hard to set up routing and navigation right now. And this just makes it easy. Like you just create a folder and you create a file and now your navigation's going. Um, so a lot less boilerplate. Do you think that you could see issues because you're presumably like interacting on a deeper level with the file system and how these end nodes or devices are reading the, the static content? Do you think you might run into issues with the jailbroken people out there or the rooted phones and the, and the way the file system might be permissed or under permissed. Yeah. So the file system is all, that's a, a developer facing implementation. Um, so one thing that makes this a bit harder to implement than if you were to do it web only, like um, for instance, like remix or next um, is that those have like a server component, um, but a native app needs to run all offline. So it's kind of smoke and mirrors to make it work on native. And then on web, it just works exactly as you would expect. It, it, you hit a URL, you ping a server, the server's like, okay, that file maps to this, and you return it. Um, in native, a lot of that needs to be handled by like manifests and offline you know, routing. Um, so as a developer, you build it in a file system, but then it compiles down to a system which just works with intercepting URLs. So you pass in a URL um, and jailbroken or not like it's it's more of a, an operating system implementation and i don't think anyone is like actually modifying how how like urls are handled i think maybe some people modify well yeah there's this one thing where like on android if you if you were to like open a link to a browser and you have more than one browser it'll be like which browser do you want to open and on ios it doesn't do that it's just like first come first serve so you could create an app which handles http and then you could just publish that. I think Apple actually at the App Store review level checks for that, but there's a number of ways to exploit that. Um, and then you could intercept URLs going to other apps. So I think some people when jailbreaking, they do add that that switcher dialogue in so you can pick, but that wouldn't affect this. That would just make it work as it should. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that's, they're kind of like doing your thing a little bit. Yeah. They're, they're, they're helping to better support this concept of opening universal links. Right on. Okay. So is this out now? Can people use it now? Uh, I've been teasing it for a while. I'm probably going to publish the um, like a kind of working group RFC repo to the expo repo or the expo org on GitHub like this week. Yeah, we should include a um, a link to that. Is there is it going to be like a like a forum RFC where people can read and post? Yeah, it'll have like you know, GitHub discussions and people can like post about it because um, it's. With a convention like this, you know, there's not like a lot of conventions in native development. So we want to make sure it's right. You know, we want to make sure it like doesn't have to change too much. Um, so yeah, it'll be in the expo org and probably like expo dash router. Um, I don't know when this, when the podcast will come out, but it, it may come out yeah before the, the podcast comes out and then I can send you the link. Um, well, Evan, is there any social or um, like blog sort of things that you do if people want to follow what you're developing on besides your GitHub? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, Bacon Bricks. Tweet a lot about native development, a lot of new features we're working on. Um, and then, yeah, the, the GitHub is great. If, if people are fans of Expo, starring the repo helps. Uh, for, for some people who want to use the project, they look at the stars and they're like, oh, there's not enough stars for me, I guess. 
<laughs> Damn. Yeah, <laughs> judgment right out the gate. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is what I heard the other day. So now I'm, I've got to like promote starring the repo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Star the repo people. I mean, I, I will again say I'm I I'm not like Evan. I'm not from Expo, and it's it was a great experience. If you want to like at least try out mobile development, like I I feel like mobile development is like a big mountain when you're looking at it because it's just you know so much about web, and they're like, haha, you know nothing. Welcome, and Expo really walked me through it, and it felt like a great experience to learn the basics. Enough was abstracted at the beginning, you know, that made it palatable. Yeah. Yeah. We really, uh, I think if you look at like the opinions that we kind of lean into, a lot of them are, they take from like the best of web. So for instance, like TypeScript, it has this first class TypeScript support. If you convert a file to TypeScript, it will be like install these TypeScript libraries. You can write TypeScript. Um, and it also just has like, you know, if you create a, a native app, you usually have to go through this kind of like some sort of wizard or something with Expo. We, we just have like one of the classic, like create, expo app you know like create app type packages installs like really quick and you get going um so it should feel very familiar to someone who's who knows a lot about the web like you should be able to utilize not just like your surface level web knowledge but like pretty deeply integrated web knowledge like you could be like okay how do you do how do you like you know suspense in in this paradigm and then and you should be able to be like okay you, you do that here or like maybe you don't do that because we have this other system like for instance, one is pre-rendering. People will ask like how to pre-render in React Native, but you know, it doesn't have HTML or CSS. So pre-rendering is an HTML and CSS level system. So in React Native, there's like no overlap at all. Um, but you should be able to carry like as much of that knowledge over as as you can and, and create like a, a robust experience to match. Right on. So it, it should be good for intro people. Um, stay tuned for your router. Um, follow Evan uh, at Bacon Bricks. That's what it was, right? Yeah, Bacon Bricks. Twitter. Okay, star the repo. <laughs> it's uh, it was inspired by my Lego days. The, oh, right, yeah, because you're a Lego master. Like, and we're we're not we're not just kidding about that. Like, Evan is a Lego master. So, um, but yeah, Bacon Bricks, and then um, yeah, if, is there are there any other shout outs or plugs you would want to give before we wrap it up, Evan? Um, yeah, so I think one. We got this new thing that we just created. It's a bit, I'm not working on it directly right now. It's called EAS Metadata. It's pretty sweet. Um, it lets you manage your app store presence. So like categories, title, description, and you can do stuff like maybe automate your change log from your commits and push those to the app store. Keep it all in, in Git. And in the future, you'll be able to do stuff like auto-localize all your metadata and submit it to every app store or automate you know, creating screenshots and updating them on commit and stuff like that. Uh, so it's pretty cool where that one's actually out so you can use it use it today um, and a bunch more functionality to come um, but I, I highly recommend checking it out if you're interested in, if you're using react native this is like a pretty sweet feature like mass distribution right yeah right yeah like on the web you get this for free you just like here's my website you host it and then it goes to everyone but on native it's like you need tooling to auto localize everything. Otherwise, your app is not available to like, you know, the majority of the world, right? Uh, which is not ideal for building a product. One more time, what's this? EAS metadata. That's the name. Yeah. Of it? Okay. One last thing thrown there. All right. Well, Evan, thank you for your time and for talking to us about Expo, and hopefully, some people will come start a repo. 
right? <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe I shouldn't have thrown that in there. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great. Thank you. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for Pod Rocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome Pod Rocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.